Good evening, church. Trust you are experiencing the presence of God this week. We're talking about being healthy. Third John 2, that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. And we've been defining that uniquely as, one, the need to feel authentic. Second, the need to feel competent at what you do. And the third, the need to feel connected to others. Last week, we spoke about competence. And I quoted Norman Nakanishi, who is our pastor of our churches in Hawaii. Norman said this, Pastor Norman said this, he said, if you don't know what to do, it may be you don't know who you are. That identity, God's ability, and the what follows the who. See, competence helps serve to give us confidence, yet it can only be a component of that confidence, not its sole source. And why do I say that? Because if competence is the thing that is driving the confidence in your life as to your worth and who you are, what happens when you're no longer competent at that thing? See, that's very, very important. It's why many times you see professional athletes and all of a sudden that they may have had a glorious career for five years or ten years, and then it's not unusual to see oftentimes their lives begin to just sort of drift and begin to fall apart because all of a sudden now they're not what they were when they were 25 years old. And their confidence has been so tied to their competence, they don't know how to do life anymore. See, confidence has to be primarily garnered through our acceptance apart from just our confidence. We recognize that we can't be great at everything. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, can you just get set free that you don't have to be great at everything? Hallelujah. And that doesn't mean that God has not uniquely gifted us to be pretty good at many things. Maybe even be excellent at a handful. But we don't got to be great at everything. And I don't know about you, but that's extremely freeing to me. And that's not a blank check for slothfulness. That's not what we're talking about here at all. But we're talking about what, 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 confidence, what competence is and what it's not. We learned last week that competence is not comparison or competition. Even the disciples walking with God himself in the flesh, arguing about who was going to be the best, who was going to be the first in the kingdom. Jesus taking that child who was culturally of absolutely no status whatsoever, very much unlike today, children, women, they had no status in that culture. Here's a child who not only had no status, but had done absolutely nothing in life that they could put on their CV, that they could put up their website about how great they were. And Jesus said, unless you become like this child. This was how Jesus began to talk about this. And yet so many times how this comparison produces discontent, and even that discontent can drive us toward condemnation as we look around and begin to compare ourselves. We learn that his competency is not unlike his qualification. Is that the gifting, the measure of the gifting, the anointing for the gifting, it all has its genesis in God himself. But tonight I want to move on to competent, qualified, and connected. God's had a very fruitful few days. He made everything. Not a bad way to spend six days. 
And he looks around and he looks at the, his crowning achievement of creation in this man and he realizes, hmm, all these four-legged things and winged things and slithering things and swimming things, none of these are really going to be a suitable companion. It's interesting. Matter of fact, he says it's not good. And this is interesting because this is the first time we see God uttering that word. Because he had already declared over his own creation, he looked and he saw that it was what? It was, this is the first negative thing we see God saying. He saw that it was not good. And it wasn't that he was declaring that man wasn't good, but the fact that man was by himself, God himself was saying, that needs to be fixed. And God did it in a glorious way by making, creating this glorious thing called woman. Men are very excited about that. Let me just tell you, we're real happy. Real happy. Because guys hanging out together, we stop taking showers. We're just not good. Come on, men. You know what I'm talking about. We need women's. Otherwise, we would only be eating potato chips and watching Sports Center. We need women. Plus, they're so pretty. But then the challenge of being connected, being in community, it didn't take long. That woman, it didn't take too long. And wherever we've got two or more, this is how we begin to figure out how does community work? How does community function? Communal health over individual rights. Paul, even speaking of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, delineates two categories. He talks about greater gifts. And the greater gifts are the ones that have the maximum impact to do what? Edify. Orkadame. To build up the community. We have to figure out in community, how's government going to work? What is it? How does it properly function? What is the culture of a given community of people going to look like? Just to name a few. 1 Peter chapter 2, and you know these passages well, I hope. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, capital S, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, small s, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 9. You are a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people. Of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, a people is more than just a collection of persons in one room at one time. Once you were not, but now you are. And it moves from the generic a people to a different article, the people. 
Something very specific, something which now you are identified and not by a fish on your bumper or the fact that you put a Bible on your dashboard of your car or have one on your coffee table in your living room, but you are identified now as the people of God. And his words, chosen, royal priesthood, holy nation, but most important to me, belonging to God. There's a seal of ownership on your life manifested by the Holy Spirit who is on the inside of you, Scripture says. And all of this, these, these wonderful declarations about who we are, it points to function so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. But you see, part of corporate identity has to always be a a relegation of individual identity for the integrity and unity of the whole. Man, this is is hard for us. This is hard for us, even in the country that we live in, where it's about the individual rather than about what is best for the whole. This is where we have the one percenters. This is where we have the haves and the have-nots and this group and that group. Is where we begin to consider ourselves more highly than we should. Which invariably takes us to a place of entitlement. Scary. And verse 5 says, as you come to him, you are being built together into something. And a house is more than the sum of the parts, but it's a completely different entity. Hear me. It's more than a pile of building materials that just magically found themselves put together, regardless of how masterfully. Consider marriage for a moment. Two individuals coming together. But how many of you know that the marriage that gets created becomes something greater than the individual parts. I really believe this is part, perhaps, of the mystery that Paul is writing about in Ephesians when he talks about a man leaving and cleaving and and what happens in marriage. Now, of course, he's relating it to the mystery of Christ and the church, but could it be that as a man and a woman come together, part of the mystery is we create this thing called this marriage that is completely other than just cohabitation, sharing expenses, efficiencies. No, no, no. Something bigger than we don't even understand what gets created in that. And God has to make us into this. Listen to me. He makes us into that people. Ultimately, it's God who has to form community, be it a marriage, be it a group of disparate people that comes together that calls itself now the church, a nation that's functional, God has to make us into something. Laws and rules and great philosophies and ideologies, they won't get it done. God himself has to do it. I'm going to talk more about this on Sunday. I spoke a message a couple of weeks ago entitled, We're Not in Kansas Anymore. Wasn't the fact that Pastor Brett's from Kansas and didn't realize that when I 
title that message. He's not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) But looking at Jeremiah 29 in terms of how the church found itself in both a foreign and a hostile environment and how the instructions for how to do life were very clearly given by God to that group of people in that setting. Consider the birth and the outworking of the early church in Acts chapter 2. It was a similarly hostile environment they found themselves in. Talk about a group of traumatized folks. I mean, they had seen their leader crucified. Many of them had spent a few weeks having various appearances by the dead guy. He appeared, it says, to many of them. He taught them. I don't know about you, but I would call that a little post-traumatic stress syndrome. And as glorious as it may have been, it still had to have been, I'm a little freaked out by all this. And all of the, all of the cultural things that, were, that, that, that contributed to Jesus' death, they were still there after he ascended into heaven. And that church was left behind. And yet it was in this environment that the church was birthed and was able to do what it did. See, God, God will often use a crisis as a catalyst to form community. Listen to me. God will often use crisis to form community. It's a book by Sebastian Junger called Tribe. It talks about this phenomenon. And he relates certain sociological things, certain historical realities that have happened, whether the bombing on London day after day and week after week and what happened to those folk about how all of a sudden they were expecting folks to fall apart and mental institutions to be filled up and all of a sudden the rate of suicide and mental check-ins in hospitals, it dived. The next thing you know, people, instead of worrying about how sad they were and how horrible life was, all of a sudden community got formed. He relates in this book about these folk that were in war-torn Bosnia, figuring out how to do life together, managed to get out, and they so missed the sense of community that was formed around that crisis, they actually snuck back in just in order to have that sense of community. And this is not even, this this is not a, a spiritual dynamic. This is a sociological dynamic. It's fascinating. And we need to look no further than the scriptures to see multiple examples of Israel, the church, finding itself in moments of stress and crisis to find out what's on the inside and so God can show up to show off and so that community can be formed as a result. We know that God himself places us into relationships that in turn form community. Marriages, friendships, work and living environs. Psalm 68 verses 5 and 6, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God in his holy dwelling sets the lonely in what? Families. Of course he does. He places us into relationships. He makes us into a people. And he has to further define and dwell in the midst of that community for it to prosper. 
So what is that corporate people, a community, look and act like? First of all, we need to define some terms. Community, by definition, usually refers to a, a social unit some, of, of some sort. Community. It's a biological definition that it's interacting in living organisms sharing a populated environment, a community. Defined as broadly as that, just folks occupying the same space, interacting and interdependent on one another. But there's another word that gets used interchangeably many times with the word community that's not truly an interchangeable word. It's the word culture. In current use, culture is that which distinguishes life in one group from another, including language, beliefs, customs, institutions, etc. The etymology of that word culture has some very, very old origins. The word culture is based on a term first used by Cicero a long time ago, where he wrote of a cultivation of the soul, what he called a cultura animi. Therefore, using an agricultural metaphor to describe the development of the philosophical soul. You see, cultures share a common philosophical soul. We share values. We share philosophies of how to do life. And culture means that which is being cultivated in you. All the time, something is being both reinforced and cultivated in you continually. It doesn't necessarily imply how you got it or from whom you received it, but it's there. And you can have shared values as a culture, but one, it doesn't necessarily mean they're biblical values. And secondly, it can't serve as a substitute for authentic community. This is where I'm going. Stated another way, you can have culture devoid of community, but you cannot have community without its accompanying culture and ethos. Consider our Christian culture for a moment. You know, right now, as we are in the midst of an election cycle, it's very, very important for folk to try to understand where do, these, where do these candidates stand in terms of their religious culture? They're not nearly as interested as the eternal ramifications of it as they are that I understand that the culture from which they come from is necessarily probably going to affect the culture, come on, by which that we are electing them. That's not far from the truth, we would hope, Correct. It's important for the voting public to know this. It's a survey done by the Pew Forum on Religion some time ago. Interviews with 35,000 Americans, 18 and older. Now, I know that everybody's got a survey, and this survey disputes that survey, and this number disputes that number. And, of course, I understand that we generally accept that we live in more or less a post-Christian culture, got all that. And yet this particular survey came up with a number of 78.4% of Americans over the age of 18 identifying as Christian. 
10%. Now, could we just step back from that number a minute and ask, of that, how many folks are attached in authentic community known as the church? Could we just talk about that in relationship to the community in which you and I live? That would mean that if that were really true in its fullest outworking, that somewhere this week, five million people will be in church. Everybody go, ride. <laughs> now, how many of you know this is just not, just not true? There ain't five million people in church in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Nod your head, please. And in reality, you and I both know if that were really true, if even folks were not even an integral part of the community, but just a peripheral part of the community, much of what we see is afflicting and infecting our culture, infecting our culture rather, would not have the same environment in which to propagate. If that many people were just even around truth that much, five million folks up here, we'd be a little different. In reality, most Christians have accepted the culture, but have yet to become authentic part of authentic community. We talked the language. We got the secret handshakes, our favorite blogs. We attend church on average once or twice a month. But ladies and gentlemen, let me help you here. You can't be a disciple apart from community. This is the place where your discipleship gets expressed. Oh, I follow Jesus. I don't need all these folks around me. Really? Yeah, I bet you do feel pretty good about yourself. I feel pretty good about me too until I interact with my wife. <laughs> and my selfishness has full expression. Or I get around some folk to just aggravate me. And all of a sudden, I realize, you ain't all that. <laughs> Feeling real good before I got off the bed. <laughs> oh, I follow Jesus. I just don't need these. I mean, this is the religious, this is the spiritual but not religious group. Right. Heard that one thrown around? I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious. Can I help you out? <laughs> 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 It's the best way I know how to explain that. Why? Because Jesus gave us a new commandment. Love your neighbor. It goes on and he says, if you say you love God, but you don't love what? One another? You ain't telling the truth. It's a prevarication. Jesus leveled the playing field on this thing. Where does that get expressed? Not in your personal prayer closet, but as you come and you live together, you do life together, you aggravate the stew out of one another. And come back and practice the gift of forgiveness. Saying we're committed to doing this together, regardless of how trifling you might be. We laugh. <laughs> Marriages hadn't figured that out. I'm just not sure that we're really compatible. You're not. <laughs> Trust me. You're not compatible. 
If you don't get the buffer of Jesus in the middle of that thing, it ain't never going to work. And that's not a curse. It's a promise. We just, we just don't have anything in common. No, you don't. But the, but the only way your life can reflect what you believe is in the context of doing it together. New Testament instructions for life and sanctification and identification. It's part of community. And it's hard. You know why? Because you're here. You didn't get that. It's hard because I'm here. Because in community, there's still conflict. It's only in the fellowship of heaven you'll find the absence of that conflict. Once you get there, not going to be any conflict anymore. Part of the reason why is that there's not going to be any competition anymore. Heaven's not about who got the biggest condo. I got more gold on my street than you got on your street. Let me tell you what. There's going to be none of that going on in heaven. Heaven's got one central attraction, and it's the throne. But here, folks are still folks. And the conflict started as soon as there were two of us. Not multiple families, not a nation, not warring nations and kings and idea. No, no, no. It just took two. Just two. And it takes two to tango. And the dance started early. And we like being apart so long as we can personally define and agree with exactly what that looks like. So we come in, we adopt the language and the customs, and we have our favorite gurus in our culture. But the key difference between community and culture is one word, interactive and interdependent. Let me explain that. Community is marked by love. Culture is simply shared, is is simply a shared language, be it spoken or cultural. You know, you can have a culture and not have any love. But you can't have a community and not have love. It won't work. That love is expressed by acting upon and being acted upon. Culture can be defined as simply as a shared ethnicity. Community must share a common ethos. What do we believe together? Community integrates and is inclusive. Culture tends to isolate and become exclusive. Them. In culture, there's no, there, there, there are no requirements or standards for doing life. In community, there are standards for doing life together. You get beyond the first four commandments, it's about doing life together. What Pastor Brett's preaching on on Sunday mornings right now. The New Testament, besides life in the Spirit, 
besides the narrative about Jesus, it's primarily about doing life together. Standards. And yes, rules. Culture doesn't need rules. Communities do. Culture's easy. Community's hard. Culture is disposable and replaceable. I'll find another group. Come on. You were weird in college. I mean, you, 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 were, you were weird, and it'd be better if we didn't know about some of your weird. And there were, you know, there probably were a culture of people. So it's like, well, I'm tired of that culture. And we watch it. We watch it with teenagers all the time. And they show up next thing you know, they got black nail polish on and the eyeliner and the whole night. He's like, what are you? I'm goth now. <laughs> really? You were a butterfly last week. <laughs> so we just move from one culture to the next. It's easy. We just change. Let me just tell you, culture is disposable and replaceable. Community is irreplaceable. And functional united community has inherent in it power. Culture, not so much. Genesis 11. Folk got together. They began to do something the earth had never seen before. New technology for bricks and building. To the point that God has to step down and it says, if there's one people, community, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this and nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Culture is an artificial flavor of the real thing. Community is the real thing. Social media. Virtual friends, <laughs> invisible little people that show up in parking lots. <laughs> it's an artificial flavor. Are, are, you, are you hearing me here? And you've heard me talk about this before, but many times if you've, raised, if you've been raised your entire life eating the artificial, when you finally get hold of the real thing, it's a little disappointing. Why? Because the artificial was never real. It was FD&C number three, number seven, to make it the right color. Are you with me? You know, and we've had all the scientists and we taste tested this sucker and it's like, it's close enough. And then finally you put the real thing in front of somebody and they think, hmm, I'm not sure what to do with this. Interesting. And the confusion between the two. Culture is ideological, but community is where that ideology is realized and it's worked out. How many, how many of us were real ideological about marriage? Who? Raising children. <laughs> we read our books. We were ready. Yep. I got me. Yep. Got me some paint paddles. Read my James Dobson. It's another generation. I'm not sure what you're reading now, but that was my generation. I'm ready to go. And then all of a sudden, after the fourth night, 
sleep deprived. Everything in your body hurts that you didn't know could hurt. I had this ideology about child rearing. Developed it in Lamaze class. First baby. I was an expert. It was real simple. No pacifiers for my children. Don't know why it was so important. No pacifiers. It's a lie. It's deceptive. No pacifiers. It lasted less than a week. All I needed was some quiet. I had one in every room of the house, one tied around my neck, three in the car. And most of them dipped him some Dimatap. Some nervous laughter in this room. <laughs> oh, there's some parents in here. Does that work? <laughs> How much do you use? Do you use the PM or the AM? Ver- I mean, I'm not prescribing anything. But we had the same ideology going into marriage. You know what I'm talking about? You had the list. And we bring that same ideology from our culture into community. We think, wait a minute. This isn't what I thought it was. I don't like these people. (laughs) Pastor Brett made a, he talked about my cigarette smoking. I don't think, I think that offended me. I don't smoke cigarettes, by the way. I was just... Have to be careful in the internet age. <laughs> that will get exerted. You understand what I'm saying? But you, but we hear something. It's just like, and all of a sudden, there's this cold air and hot air, and this thunderstorm begins to happen between our ideology and reality. And guess where the storm happens? Right here in community. I gotta, I gotta quit. But we're gonna keep talking about this. Listen to me, saints. And this is not this is not a this is not a current events statement. Because what I'm getting ready to say has always existed. But folks need to see something in you and me. That's not just the secret handshake and the praise the Lord and the hallelujah and the declaring the decree and, and all of our little inside cultural things that we've got. They need to see something. A folk really loving one another. Who aggravate one another. Who don't agree on every small point of everything. But they know they've been joined together in the people. 
Not just a happy collection of individuals, but they're all working together to reflect one person, one God. To declare the praises of him. That gets worked out in community. Pray with me. Lord, I am so stirred by the desperate need of authentic community being displayed on the earth today. The people of God. The church. The bride. Not just replete with our inside things and our secret handshakes and sayings and slogans. But in Acts 4, it says that people, they looked and they were, all, they were afraid of them, but they couldn't stay away. And you added to their number every day. God, every one of us come with a sense of wanting to belong and to be connected. It seems like so many things work against that. Traffic, work, family. I can just get it from the interwebs. Why go at all? So many things that are lined against us, it seems. And yet, it's in community that the deepest longing of our heart to be connected is realized. Let it be in our lives, in our marriages, our families, this church, the church. Let it come into reality right now in this generation, in this moment. If you're in this room tonight and you have felt disconnected your entire life, in and out of different groups of folk trying to find a fit, let me just tell you, there's a divine fit for you. His name is Jesus. He's made a place. But it begins by acknowledging that he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He has come to meet you, cleanse you from your sins, set you free, and to place you in family. If that's you tonight, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anyone at all? All right. Lord, you be God. We'll be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you, church.